Rise to Offend, a podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today. I'm your host, Petra Spych, and this week we are tackling part one of three on the game-changing TV sitcom Married with Children, a show that changed the way that we laugh at dysfunctional families and spawning a brand new view of sitcoms and humor that can be presented on television, as well as having hate groups try to censor and get the show taken off the air. Before the first episode, the show had to find birth on a channel willing to take a risk. And in the mid 80s, that channel would be a little station that was trying to break through to mainstream called Fox. It's been a year since Michigan housewife Terry Ricolta turned on her TV to watch what she thought would be a show for the whole family. Uh, Instead, Married with Children had a few surprises in store. I feel very strong vibrations here. Did you leave your toy running under the couch again? It exploits women. It has anti-family attitudes. It stereotypes poor people. It's just a very offensive problem. In one woman's crusade against sex on television. Now, this is what made a television mother see red on Fox Television's hit comedy, Married with Children. Terry Ricolta got so sore, she wrote letters to the sponsors, and some of them pulled their ads from the show. But tonight, an executive for Fox is saying Mrs. Ricolta has no business telling other people what to watch. Art societies and all of these uh, things that, you know, rather wealthy people do, I don't think that she has, is living the normal American life. And I don't think she's able to make a judgment about what is funny to the majority of American people. Incidentally, Kellner says the show's ratings are up since Mrs. Ricolta began her crusade. We'll find out that they put her up to it. <laughs> Everyone has a free speech issue, don't they? And joining me, as always, Brandon Hahn and Jocelyn Sharp. From the time television took over American culture, there were three big networks, and those were ABC, NBC, and CBS. I grew up with Father Knows Best and shows that made you feel bad because life wasn't like that. And you thought it was supposed to be like that. Those networks monopolized appointment viewing and set standards for television programming and its content. By the mid-1980s, Fox, a new channel, decided to go for a younger, hipper audience to target the three major networks, even recruiting Garth Anser at the age of 29 from NBC to be vice president of current comedy programming. In 1987, there was a new network on the air, Fox, and a new kind of sitcom family, the Bundys. Nobody had ever seen anything like them. They were rude, they were crude, and they were definitely not the Cosbys, but they were funny. And a lot of people seemed to think that they were more like a real life family. You know, the kind held together by misery, failure, and laziness. The three hit sitcoms on the major networks at the time were all very conservative and showed families in a similar fashion. And those shows were Family Ties, Growing Pains, and The Cosby Show. It's the common thread, you know, where, the, where society has not been good to them. You know, they don't feel they owe society anything. You know, it's the criminal, it's the Jesse James thing. It's like, these rules are not for us. They're only for people who society likes. So you just flashed that badge at some registered voter, buddy. <laughs> We're Bundys. 
We hate cops. What was a television family and what did sitcoms represent in the 1980s? Sitcoms represented so many things. I mean, think about it. In our in our like cultural speech when we talk to each other, we talk about Leave it to Beaver. We talk about Mrs. Cleaver as like the epitome of mom, right? We we name these cultural characters as the epitomes of moms, dads, brothers, sons, boyfriends, girlfriends. Our first crushes were in sitcoms. We cried along with people that were going through the same things as us. We learned about our bodies. We learned about our futures. We learned about our own families and our own culture through sitcoms. This is how you treat me. This is how you treat a neighbor. This is how you treat a man who calls you friend. Yes, it is, Steve. <laughs> Give me the five. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. I need a plan. Let's see. I work in a bank. If I took a quarter out of every quarter roll. <laughs> Why don't you do this, Steve? Why don't you go home, wake up Marcy, say, hey, I lost all my money, I screwed up, I'm sorry, and what's for dinner? That's what being a man's all about, Steve, making mistakes and not caring. That revolution was really about showing the family that you knew. And I think that's what we related to, is that if it wasn't our family, it was Bobby's family down the street, or it was, you know, our aunt and uncle. They didn't need us to tell them that Al and Peg really cared about each other. They didn't need us to say that you know, the kids really had respect for their parents. I mean, they didn't, but they didn't need us. They were okay with that. You know, they, they were fine with that. Um, we gave, we didn't, they were smarter than that. We used to get notes or at least suggestions of, uh, are, 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 are we really, are we really going to do this type of thing? Because, you know, it's kind of anti-woman here. And, you know, we're really, I, you know, the women are going to, do you really think that the women in this country are at all threatened by a fictional shoe salesman? Really? You think when Al goes on a rampage about, you know, a fat woman, go, you know, that women are sitting at home watching this and now they have low self-esteem? Really? He's a shoe salesman. This isn't the president. <laughs> this is a shoe salesman who, by the way, is not a real shoe salesman. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them a little more credit than that. That they could not only sit and laugh with them, they could certainly sit and laugh at him. I don't think they need Al to say, "I'm just kidding." After you know, after every joke, or really, Peg, I, I, I you know, baby, you're the great. Oh, come on, you know, really. If that's what you think about the audience, then I can't, I, there's nothing I can do about that. I, I don't think that they think that way. I think that you know, a little more credit than that. And there were clear lines of good and bad, and families were good people. Exactly. Back in those days, I mean, it was the idea of what a family should be instead of what a family is. So, like, when you were looking at this picture of what the American family was, it was almost something to aspire to be. That's the nice thing about the show. I don't think you can learn anything from it. Like Archie Bunker in the 70s, oh, Al Bundy Bunker. has his fans too. They say shows like Married with Children and Roseanne are simply a satire of the American family. It shouldn't be taken too seriously. Christina Applegate agrees. We're just poking fun, you know? We're, we're showing people another side. We're, we're letting them turn on the television and go, thank God, we're not like that. Kelly, are you failing again? Say something to her, Al. This is no good, Kelly. Now go play. Now, Garth answer, he hired two seasoned writers that were seasoned but completely different. The first one, Ron Levitt, was Brooklyn-raised and of Jewish descent, who wrote episodes for sitcoms like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, 
and the Bad News Bears. You know, Ron and I were very like-minded in that the, we really did not like, you know, traditional sitcoms. Well, let me put it this way, traditional at the time, you know, sitcoms. We didn't, you know, like the gentle, domestic, you know, humor. You know, we obviously, you know, from the earlier days, you know, we didn't care much for, you know, issue shows. So we were very like-minded. We had no problem um, doing silly, you know, things. Um, making the audience laugh was our first priority. Um, in the very, neither really, neither one of us really cared about image, especially our own. Um, we weren't showbiz folk, you know, we didn't care to be seen, we didn't lunch at Michael's, you know, we didn't, uh, we weren't, we didn't have dramatically lit headshots of ourselves, um, we didn't wear the traditional Hollywood you know, apparel, you know, with the shirts down to here and the bling and, you know, all of the, we didn't have our hair moosed and you know, all of that crap. We were guys who literally told that deliveries were in the back when we would go to a meeting at Fox, the, <laughs> the guard in the front would take a look at us and tell us that deliveries were, they said, no, we're, we're here to see Barry Diller. Uh, no, wait a minute. And then they would call upstairs and, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we were, we were those guys. And the second, Michael G. Moy, a black man and seasoned sitcom writer of the Jeffersons, Different Strokes, 227, and Good Times. My purpose, you know, I'm here just to entertain in the way that I can entertain. That's, this is the way that I entertain. And, you know, things worked well because particularly in the very beginning, we were absolutely like-minded. Now, I was more of, if, again, if you think about this as a, as a football team, you know, where Ron quarterbacked the offense, you know, I was, I quarterbacked the defense whenever there was an attack whenever there was trouble and we were going to play good cop, bad cop, I was the bad cop because I truly cared not about what anyone thought. You know, I, I totally understood this show. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was now getting such positive feedback from the audience and that's what I cared about, that they were being entertained. And I remember, you know, my father who would come in and, you know, not want to hear bad, bad things. These are the people that I was working for. And when they were happy, I was doing my job. Didn't care about anything else. So when someone would try to you know, interfere with that, you know, I would, that it would be me, you know, who would go and uh, be the bad cop. And that's how we had to, you know, that's how we chose to run things for, you know, most of the show. How important was the two schools and different viewpoints of Levitt and Moy to the creation 
of any groundbreaking sitcom in the 1980s. I mean, if you're going to get a voice across, why not get two separate voices that are pretty much on the opposite sides of each other to meet in the middle and put something good together? I mean, what's wrong with that? My agent said, this is a terrible project. It's not funny. It's uh, insulting. It's gross. It's just awful. But they want to see you. And uh, it's this new network that's no network. And I said, oh, gee, sounds just right up my alley. And then I went in and met them, and they looked like two gas station attendants. Ron Levitt and Michael Moy were genius, and they were funny guys, and we were pumping out funny shows, and they gave it the chance. They loved the opportunity to be on a network that didn't exist. And, you know, the whole thing about the Fox network at that time was we are going to be the, the rebel network. What greater inspiration or pool to draw from than two people who live on two different sides of the racial fence in a time in our country where race was still and still is today, a very big part of the American experience, right? That was two very different lives they were living, even in professionally, personally, like the, the deeper and more varied perspectives you have, the better quality the entertainment because the broader appeal it's going to have. And on top of that, too, the uh, experience that they brought to the table writing for those landmark shows. Legendary. I mean, come on. Ron and Michael had completed their first draft, and it was, I know it was the best first draft of the script I've ever seen. I mean, they really nailed it. When the show was conceived, the original pitch was, all right, Roseanne Barr and, and Sam Kinison are married and they have children. And that's a high concept pitch. And the two had one major thing in common, and that was that they hated modern television comedy and the rebellious and at the time unavailable attitude that stand-up comedy was bringing, they wanted to bring somehow to network TV. And since Fox was new and had no hit shows, the risk was small and the opportunity was available. Both writers started to write a pilot for a show with the working title, Not the Cosbys. And the basics of their premise were inspired by two popular stand-up comics at the time, Sam Kinison and Roseanne Barr. They imagined through their acts if those two were married. I spent six weeks trying to convince Sam Kinison's manager and Roseanne Barr's manager to star in this soon-to-be television series, both of whose managers said, um, nope, they're, they're going to be movie stars. They're not going to do television. And, and I was thinking to myself, well, first of all, nobody really knows these people yet. And, and second of all, I'm thinking in my head, you know, they don't really look like movie stars. Without Roseanne and Kinison on board, Fox was ready to pull the plug on Married with Children. I encouraged the producers and said, look, let's just give it a shot. I think there's some really good actors available out there. Let's start auditioning actors and see what we come up with. Reluctantly, Fox agreed to go ahead with the series. The team was now starting from scratch, and they had just six months to cast and shoot a pilot that network executives would sign off on. Both wanted to cast Sam Kinison and Roseanne Barr as the leads of their show and as the main characters, but neither comic was interested at the time, and with that blueprint, they moved on to the audition process. But Levitt and Moy saw the setback as a good thing the best thing that could have happened to the show. We never liked working with comedians or, or established actors because they would come in with their character already, which would already put us at a disadvantage because, what, we're going to tell Roseanne how to do her domestic goddess thing? We're going to tell Sam Kennison how to do... That wouldn't work. It would, it would just be fighting all the time. Would the show Married with Children with Sam Kennison and Roseanne Barr 
have worked in your guys' opinion? No, no, it wouldn't work because Sam Kinison was not the type of guy. Al Bundy, when you think about it, he's the kind of guy that he's defeated, he's always losing, and Sam Kinison and that attitude and that rage that just is constantly boiling within him, him and Roseanne at that time, by the way, uh, that was the number one thing that you always looked at them. It wasn't the fact that you were laughing at how funny they were, it was the fact that you were agreeing with their rage, their blind hate that they had for whatever they were talking about. We would be antagonists with each other, but the second somebody came in and tried to to hurt any one of us, this this gaggle of, you know, apes would come together and kick butt. Come on, kids. Let's kick some rich butt. There's a lot of episodes where an entire Bundy family is beating the crap out of somebody else to protect their own. If you want rebelliousness to be relatable, it needs to be relatable rebelliousness. And the character that they're trying to write is somebody who works 50-hour weeks, doesn't make enough money, he's barely supporting his family, you know, he's got the wife and he's got the kids and, and nothing goes right. And that was everybody in America that day. Sam Kinison has no, the vibe that he has just doesn't ring as the guy who's so exhausted because between his family and his job, all he wants to do is sit on the couch. But it's different. That's what they were going for. From if you can remember when Fox premiered, what they did was, you know, they aired their the drama Twenty One Jump Street first, you know, with Johnny Depp and and, and 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 company, and then they started airing their sitcoms, and I think they aired each one of their sitcoms multiple times, you know. Um, and we had a little party, you know, at one of our watching the premiere, watching the premiere of Fox. We knew where our demographics were, you know. We knew that on most of the country, we were, I mean, God, we were on like Channel One, Channel like seventy-three, you know, the Church Channel. I mean, we were, we were all over the place, you know. So, you know, we weren't expecting a lot, but, you know. Um, when the ratings did come in, we did notice that of all of the shows, you know, the ratings were minuscule, of course. We had the best ones, though. You know, so we, I mean, we took great solace in that. I mean, that of all the shows, we, because we did get the least amount of promotion. I mean, that was not us, you know, imagining this. And the next week, the ratings were a little bit higher. But again, of all of the shows, and I'm not counting Jump Street. I can't remember what Jump Street did. Um, but of the sitcoms, we were the number one sitcom. And this happened every week in the ratings. Up a little bit, up a little bit, up a little bit. It was kind of amazing that in the bigger cities um, where we had the better affiliates and you could actually see <laughs> the show as well as hear it, you know, the ratings were surprisingly large. Um, still, you know, generally, nationally, no one knew who we were. But the audition process would change the vision of the project entirely. Moy and Levitt envision the roles as, as we mentioned, slobs, kind of people that were on fringe, that were angry, and in a stereotypical way that we as people would know that. 
But actress Katie Seagal envisioned the role differently, and she entered her audition with her vision in mind. Peg Bundy was the girl in high school that rode on the back of a motorcycle and just sort of smoked cigarettes at too young an age and uh, sort of liked the bad boys. And um, they said that Al and Peg were in high school together, but I'd like to clarify right now that Peg Bundy was much younger than Al Bundy. I think that her mothering style was more like the, the kind of I'm your friend kind of mother. I think that she, um, uh, they always knew she was there for them. I think she deflected as much responsibility as she possibly could. Now, Kelly, here's what I think you're doing wrong. Stop flirting with this boy at school. Get him alone with no distractions. Get him to tell you all his secret dreams and hopes, and then use them to crush him. She wore tight clothes, revealing her great figure in a 60s beehive wig. Instead of playing something she couldn't portray, someone out of shape, sloppy, and disheveled, she portrayed someone who was the opposite, pretty and clean, but still desperately trying to be the hot chick from her youth. The desperation of her outlook of the character changed the entire outlook of the creators, and she was cast immediately as Peggy Bundy. The, cat, the assembling of the cast, the Bundy family, you know, came from as many directions. Uh, you know, Katie, you know, was, we found Katie because Ron's wife saw her um, on one of the later incarnations of a Mary Tyler Moore series. She played, you know, sort of a hard-bitten news reporter with a cigarette in her mouth all the time. You know, you know, thought she would work. Why do you feel the creators went against their vision and trusted Katie Seagal, in essence, changing the entire character and embracing her audition? There's a lot of Hollywood stories. Well, I, I don't know about a lot, but there's there's quite a few Hollywood stories in that uh, an actor's creativity and interpretation of the role changes the entire vision of the project, right? And I think this is a testament to Katie's complete and total... Under, I mean, we know now today how great of a character actress she is, how much she understands how to portray different people with different backgrounds and different personalities. And this was just her... I think that she, this is something that somebody like her can only do. I think it's about Katie. I think that she's the one she has the magic juice that she understands characters in a different way. Yippee skip! <laughs> and a mere $275. Oh, Al, let's buy it. We can do without food and heat for a year. You wouldn't mind? <laughs> Al, you want everything. When was the last time you bought me something? Oh, I suppose these pots and pans are mine. <laughs> I'm sorry, Al. It's been so long since I wore them dancing, I forgot they were even here. I'll get it. And then on top of that, too, I mean, everybody is showing up to this audition who all probably look the same exact way. They all kind of looked like Roseanne. All of a sudden, she shows up with this look, this attitude, this character. She stood out. Imagine as a director, you're, you're, it's, you're a casting director and a director sitting there at a table, and somebody comes in with a fully thought out, fully practiced character ready to go. That's a much more attractive ideal than somebody who needs a lot of direction. And on top of that, somebody that just went and did their own thing. I mean, the, the fact that you have this direction that you want to go to, and then she's like, how about this? And then you pull it off so well that it changes the whole project. You know, I mean, she obviously believed a lot in herself. You know, the way that we decided to dress her, you know, she was written as like a couch potato. 
And I thought, oh no, I, I, I don't see that. That's not what I wanted to bring to it. So even at the audition, when I went to audition, I wore tight clothes and dolled her up a little bit. And the talent of being an actress is a, is a big thing that originally in their vision with Kinnison and Barr, they weren't going for the thespian. They were going for the comic. And there's a big difference in sitcom when you hire a thespian to a comic. And her bringing that to the table they were like, wow, we can do a lot with her. For every Bill Cosby that put out a television show, there's a thousand George Carlins that failed. Katie, Peggy, um, we wanted to portray as, you know, the, the, the quintessential stay at home. You know, I watch TV from the minute you leave to the minute you come back, you know, type of house. We wanted, to, we wanted her to be the reason that Al is the way he is. But yet we did not want her to be weak, you know, and take his and be, you know, and, and not and be and take his abuse without being able to hand hand it right back to him. And then that was our way of showing that these two people really did care for each other. Neither one of them could be married to anyone else on the planet. It would not work. You know, these two had to be married to each other because these two were the only people who could take it. Now, next, they had to cast their lead male, Al Bundy, and over 300 men auditioned for the role. Moy stated 80% of the auditions were angry, a la Ralph Cramden of The Honeymooners, and the other 20% were people that were completely over the top, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. 300 actors later, we were nowhere close to finding Al Bundy. It was, it was really one of those times where, where you believe you've seen everybody in town. We saw comic actors, we saw comedians, we saw Western yesteryear, we saw B and C movie stars. 80% of the people that came in to read for Al read it like Ralph Cramden, exactly like Jackie Gleason would have read. We had heard it read every way, but a way that was funny. And we started to doubt whether or not this was ever going to work at all. The creators questioned the script and direction until they saw a read by future Seinfeld actor Michael Richards, who performed with an over-the-top lunacy that came off comedic and not scary like the other performers. And he was the frontrunner for the role. This came up and I could not get Ed O'Neill out of my mind. I had no sense whatsoever he could do comedy. He had never done comedy before. But in my mind, I felt there was some connection between Lenny from Vice and Men and Al Bundy. Lenny would say anything because he just was not a particularly bright guy. And Al Bundy is basically the same way. He's completely uncensored because he's not a particularly bright individual. I guess the middle of the week, they called us and said, you guys got time to read one guy? I'm like, well, it depends who was the guy. Ed O'Neill. Well, excuse us if we don't stand in a flood right now, but you, you want to follow that up with something like, who, who the hell is Ed O'Neill? But then casting director Mark Hirschfield saw a stage production of the John Steinbeck play of Mice and Men, and the actor who portrayed the simple-minded and doomed character of Lenny really impressed him. That actor was an unknown by the name of Ed O'Neill. Moyd and Levitt were skeptical because O'Neill had a strong acting background in drama and both felt he was ill-equipped for comedy. The only television series I believe he had done, he had done a busted pilot, 
called uh, Popeye Doyle, which was based on the French Connection. Aha. Uh -huh. So he's a dramatic actor. Yes. <laughs> you guys got any, like, anim Yosemite Sam coming in? You guys got any animated people? How about animals? You know, you bring them in? Sure, we'll, 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 we'll. Ed O'Neill, fine. Fine. Ed O'Neill came to the audition straight from a handball game, covered in sweat. On his audition, he just came from a handball game, sweaty, and looked completely unkempt. And Moy asked O'Neill not to read the lines, but just to enter the house as the character. So O'Neill entered the doorway with this slow resignation, let his shoulders fall, and let out a sigh. He walked in the door, he sat down, and he's a very big guy, and he's a very powerful guy. Um, but when he started to actually do the scene, his, he, he kind of went into this defeat mode. Before he said a word, he just did this. <sighs> then he opened the door. He didn't have to say a word. From me, as far as I was concerned, he didn't have to say another word. That was Al Bundy. Because Al, only Al Bundy would know that no matter what, no matter what day it was, when he opened that door, there was going to be crap on the other side of this door. Sometime later, he said the secret to playing Al Bundy was he said he always thought Al's, Al's life smelled bad. Al! <laughs> and if you look, when, when Ed comes on stage, he almost always is, he's smelling something bad, and what's that? It's his life. They saw something new. They saw an actor portraying someone not angry or over the top, but defeated with an attitude. And like Katie Seagal before him, they knew this was the portrayal that would work. <laughs> Come on, Al, make a decision. These guys are leaving the neighborhood. Well, of course they're leaving the neighborhood. These guys are crooks. First, you got to believe they just happen to be in the neighborhood. And second, we have to believe, the two guys see Marcy and they're willing to come back. <laughs> I mean, is there nothing so stupid that some woman won't fall for it? I fell for you, sweetie. <laughs> How could you marry such a chauvinistic, sexist man? A dare. <laughs> Look, I'm not sexist. I'm just saying women don't know nothing. Moy and Levitt wanted the route of comedians originally. They didn't have a great acting background and changed their original vision to accommodate truly talented actors instead of comics. How important was this decision to Married with Children's chance of succeeding? Well, they trusted themselves. Here's the thing. You bring in a comedian, you're asking the comic to carry the show. Yeah, you're going to have writers and stuff like that, but that comic is only going to be able to deliver it in the same delivery that he's used to in most cases. In this situation, you bring in two actors and actresses. They're going to do what the writers say. They're going to do what the director says. And, but they're also going to make sure that they maintain that character that they put work into, that, that, they, uh, that they actually end up being in front of the cameras. You want to watch Carson? It's a special show. It's a repeat of his salute to Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> Al, did I ever tell you the sound of your voice irritates the hell out of me? <laughs> No, honey, you didn't. But in that case, there's only one thing I'll have to do. I'll just have to shut up. Yep, I'll just have to be quiet, because if there's one thing I don't want to do, it's irritate you. Not my little Peggy. Because if she's irritated, then I'm irritated, and if she's unhappy, then I'm unhappy. Al, sweetie, what's that song you hate? 
Don't do it, Peg. See the tree, how big it's grown. No, Peg, Red, please. It hasn't been too long. It wasn't big. All right. There is something to be said about live studio audience productions, right? I mean, yeah, com- comedians do great in, in those situations because they're in front of an audience. But I also think that people who have acting experience and training understand space work, understand direction better, understand how to... Because a lot of the magic of a, a live studio audience sitcom comes from the energy, I think, that's created from the audience interaction with what's happening in front of them, right? There's a lot of energy that you get from there, a lot of the laughter and the interaction and the gasps and all that. And you need really trained people because it's, it's comedians, we're all about us, right? Mm-hmm. But but you need... You need to be about the project. You need to be about the project and the overall thing. Now, can you please tell me what a woman's body has to do with selling beer? Pretty women make us buy beer. Ugly women make us drink beer. <laughs> With talented actors in their leads, they knew they had to maintain their casting on talented actors rather than comics and cast their uptight neighbors with David Garrison and Amanda Bierce. He's just a little upset because I didn't have time to do the shopping. You know, Steve and I decided to share the household chores. Gee, that's great. You see, Al, Steve helps around the house. Way to go, Steve. Say, listen, who do you like to win the NBA championship this year? Well, Al, to tell you the truth, since we got married, I don't watch much sports. Marcy doesn't like it, and we decided we'll only do things we both like. I feel that sports glorify violence and competition, and I don't think it's psychologically healthy. When we have a child, we don't want it to grow up with that winning is the only thing attitude. A child is better off not being exposed to sports. You're going to neuter him, too? Do you two uh, have any kids? Two. Where are they? I don't know. (laughs) Then the children with Tina Caspery as the daughter Kelly and Hunter Carson as Bud. And then lastly, they cast for the first season, the womanizing co-worker, of the lead out Bundy, and that was a comic by the name of Rich Snyder. Yeah, she's on some stupid diet. I guess it makes him moody. Well, I can't sympathize. There's a shot. <laughs> yep. See, I can eat whatever I want and never gain a pound. My body's great. I can abuse it. It keeps coming back for more. <laughs> hey, you know what else is great about me? Shut up. <laughs> can someone help me, please? Yes, miss. The modeling agency's a few doors down. Oh, no, I, I'm not a model. I just need shoes. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> Sit right here. Now, the characters were named after professional wrestlers at the time. The main family was the Bundy family, Al, Peggy, Kelly, Bud, and their dog, Buck. And despite later protest groups stating they were named after infamous serial killer Ted Bundy, they were named after wrestler King Kong Bundy. Their uptight neighbors, Marcy and Darcy Rhodes, were named after the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Al's womanizing co-worker, Luke Ventura, was named after professional wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura. Just before Christmas 1986, the pilot for Married with Children was complete. For the creative team of Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, it was the project of a lifetime. A show that takes an unconventional view of family life for a network that promised them complete creative control. Ron and Michael absolutely took them on their word for that. What Ron and Michael didn't know 
is Fox's promise of creative freedom was about to be tested. Why do you think people against the show tried to link it with a serial killer in efforts to sabotage the show, although that is a complete lie? So this is an example that just goes to show you that things have not changed. Things have always been like this. It's just easier for things to people to get access to the information now, right? We just see a lot more of the outrage. People have always wanted to be mad. People love to be mad. And especially when it comes to something that challenges their own personal belief system. People really pretend to be open-minded. But if I'm Christian and you're challenging my Christian belief system, internally that stirs up something, right? And so they're going to literally try and link this to anything that can devalue it to both their group and people outside of their group. The show tested well, and that's exactly how he said it. The show tested well. However, you know, if we could go back and somehow make it more clear that deep down the kids really did have respect for their parents, that Al deep down really did care for his wife, that deep down the entire family did really care for each other, that we could potentially have something special, you know, at work here. And that's when Ron uttered, and I total credit, <laughs> uttered the famous line, and we would have every other effing sitcom in the history of television. And with that, we got up and walked out. Now, when we walked out that door, we were convinced that this show would never, ever see the light of day. Because with all of the Fox executives in here, we basically said to you guys, shove this right now. You know, already, you guys, you haven't even been on the air yet. And you lied. So you're technically, congratulations, you are now an official network. The, you, because right out of the box, you're lying to, to the people, to what's supposed to be your team. You're an official network now. Congratulations. See ya. And so we left. And then keep in mind, too, I mean, they didn't show this side of the American family. They didn't show this marriage where they really kind of had a disdain for each other. That does go against a lot of people's values. And then when you try and attach a serial killer's name, oh, they named him after Ted Bundy, it's like... You're just grasping for straws, and you know what? And you just look ridiculous. Now, now you, now your your argument is losing any heat behind it. Well, I mean, it's a it's a smart wound to poke because Bundy wasn't very far behind this, right? There was a little bit less time gap culturally between the very public Bundy trial and this. People who were watching these shows were alive during the Bundy trial, so they probably, you know, made that even made that connection at some point but once you realize they're all named after wrestlers then your name start you start to make different connections your brain makes whatever connections you want you can this is how conspiracy theories start you can find connections where you want to see them people fear change and yep. it was change you know and people think that change is going to hurt them personally they take it personal and so they will say anything or start rumors to make whatever they don't want you to see evil yeah, it's all about their and agenda. And they linked it directly, exactly, their agenda, and they linked it directly to evil, Ted Bundy. It had racy plot lines that created a whirlwind of controversy. I've taken down the names of all the advertisers that are endorsing this type programming. 
I actually thought there was a possibility that Fox would shut it down. Yet despite the obstacles, Married with Children put a network on the map. Fox was really nothing before Married with Children. And redefined primetime television. It didn't just push the envelope, it ripped the envelope apart, burned it, and threw it into the wind. The pilot was then shot, and as we mentioned, when you have strong actors directly with weaker ones, chemistry and timing would not work. Ed O'Neill saw this immediately and mentioned it to Moy and Levitt with the actress cast as the Bundy children. And after the pilot was shot, they scrapped the entire pilot, recast, and reshot it. With Kelly Bundy being played by Christina Applegate. Kelly, to me, was unlike any other character I'd ever seen on television. Um, she was what was going on, the big hair, the tight lycra clothes. The rock video was very big, and you know, you always had the band with like the one rock slut. And I just tried to incorporate all of that into this character that wasn't defined when we first started. <laughs> He wanted to study, so I just had to tell him I'm not that kind of girl. I was inspired by this idea of her not being stupid, but really just kind of thinking outside the box, thinking in a different way than most people think. I feel I make the statement that brains and decent knockers can go hand in hand to march us proudly into the 19th century. And the writers just thought, that's it. So it was a real, it was a nice marriage between what I brought in and what they had on the page, and this person sort of evolved out of it. Mom, I'm on the horns of an enema. And Bud Bundy with David Faustino. Now, Bud, I want you to go upstairs and do not come back down until you figure out something else to do with your time besides torturing your sister. Why don't you just ask me to stop breathing? <laughs> it's what I am. It's what I do. Bud's in love. I am not. He's blushing, Mom. She's pregnant, Dad. <laughs> Stuff a bra. Pick a nose. Eat toe rot. Lick roadkill. Chew Dad's sock. Eat Mom's food. Both of them child actors since they were infants. They reshot the entire pilot and now had to run into a brick wall. And that wall was called Research and Development, which in essence was notes from reactions from audiences and the Fox executives' notes. I found out about this evil entity called Research and Development. You distribute it to the studio and the network, and then they do, they do testing. They do audience testing you know, with random groups or demographic groups that they bring in, and they, they ask people whether they'd watch the show, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. I have a, a little bit of an aversion to research and development, I think, based upon the fact that they're always wrong. How tough do you think was the process to get through for a show like Married with Children in the mid-1980s? Well, you just had to be what you set out to be, and that's funny. And anytime you're going up against that kind of wall, anytime you're going up against focus groups and trying to make everyone happy, doesn't matter if you're funny, you're going to get through. Um, we did the pilot. Um, we uh, mixed reviews. And this is from, you know, this is from the network. Um, one of the contingencies that we had made as far as coming over to Fox, you know, with this pilot, because we, I know everybody's in a hurry, everybody's scrambling, da da da, is that, you know, if you're going to do this, because it is different, it is counterculture, we didn't want this notes based on testing this show. You know, we have seen testing of a, of a show ruin more potentially good sitcoms than, any, than anything else. 
you know, I was never a believer in testing. I always believed that people who were the testees, you know, are going to tell you exactly what they want you to hear. And that this is how they kept doing it year after year after year made me crazy. And, I, and we knew if this show was tested the way conventionally tested, it was not going to test well. And so we said we didn't want this, you know, we didn't want this tested. They said fine. So, you know, we did the pilot. Pilot itself shooting went well. They wanted to test it, of course. They wanted to test after we shot the pilot, and we said fine. You know, as long as it's understood that we make no changes based on any results of this testing because we knew, you know, what the testing was going to be. It, it, this is the, the the pioneer thing, right? Like when you're like, not that they're the first of their kind in sitcoms, but they're the first of their kind in that, you know, how many Al Bundy characters have we seen since this? You know, this is, they really did portray a new set, a new set of characters that we hadn't really been shown before. You know, we only were ever shown like the best versions, quote unquote, of every type of person, every archetype, we saw the best possible version of them. Now we're seeing the archetypes in a whole new light, right? Whole new personality bases. So it's going to be difficult because you're presenting something that, you know, people have never seen before. Married with children was off the charts, top of the testing. They had never in history had a show test this high in the comedy reaction. But because their statistical way of doing things meant they threw out the top of the testing, it brought us down to sort of mediocre. And the researchers said, well, you know, you have a very funny show here and so on and so forth. But our research has shown that, uh, you know, if at the end of every show or someplace in the show, if, if the Al Bundy character would embrace his kids, would touch his kids, would hug his kids, then you could get away with a lot more of the outrageousness that you set up in this show. And there was a long pause. And we looked around almost as if to say, so we're done now? Ron stood up first and said, and you, sir, are why television sucks. Some of the notes that Ron Levitt and Michael Moy took were, uh, if Al hugs his kids more often, it would be okay for his behavior. And they laughed and they refused to change anything about the pilot and stated Al Bundy did not hug his kids unless they're bleeding. That's the show. For Levitt and Moy, it was a make or break moment. They called Garth and they said, we're playing the freedom card. We are here working for less because we want the freedom to do our vision. And Al Bundy does not hug his kids unless they're bleeding. The study said one thing. But Ansir's gut told him to trust Levitt and Moy. Executives have to have enough courage in our business to say, I believe in this show, I'm putting it on television, despite what other people may say. The findings from research and development were disregarded, and Ansir convinced the higher-ups at Fox to air the show as is. There would be no hugs on Married with Children. In a rare move, convinced the Fox officials to dismiss all the research and development findings and air the show as is. And on Sunday, April 5th, 1987, at 8 p.m., Married with Children, the first primetime series ever on Fox Broadcasting Company, aired.
horse and carriage This I tell you, brother You can't have one without the other This show was the first primetime series on Fox. And what did it say to the television world about Fox in 1987? We're different. That's exactly what it said. We're different. We're going against the grain. And we're, we're reaching out to you, the real America. That's kind of what it was. I mean, think about all the things that Fox did give us. They gave us The Simpsons. They gave us, you know, a family guy to a lesser degree. But, I mean, it's like they've always been one of these these stations that took risks, and they did In it. Living Color, yes. The Simpsons. Yes. Yes. These shows like this. They, they, they were always the ones that were taking these risks, and that's what Fox Television did for us in the early days. I mean, it's like it's funny to say that now because you, when you think Fox, you think button-up conservative network, but no. Excuse me, Mr. Bosley. Isn't this demeaning? Demeaning? Demeaning, Patsy? Is it demeaning for a woman to serve a man? What do you think, girls? No! Now, everybody, let's get started. What you watching? Patsy, portrait of a stewardess in training. <laughs> Mr. Bosley! And I thought that was a flotation device. <laughs> watch these things it's educational pig i mean we all fly but do any of us really know what these young ladies go through to become stewardesses their dresses are awfully short would you like me to get one of those why Instead of searching for the people who are already seeing the ads, they were searching for the people that wanted to see something different on television, which is, is a smart way to do things because there is a lot more people not watching the shows than there are watching the shows. And on a, on a, a station that is failing right now, as Fox was at this time, to have advertisers not want to be a part of the show was an even bigger risk for them financially. But if anything, they were like, well, they're not going to buy with us anyway. Let's just go for it. Nothing to lose, right? Right. I remember what I remember. We uh, just to reward ourselves, we went out and bought ourselves married with children T-shirts with our, you know, with our own, uh, with our own money. And we went and got found, you know, a designer who did the uh, logo, you know, on our black T-shirts, and you know, we would walk around you know, proudly wearing our T-shirts. And uh, one day I was, I think I might have been walking down the street in either West Los Angeles, Beverly Hills or something. And I was wearing my T-shirt. And a woman from across the street called out, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, you, you. And I would turn around and she looked at the T-shirt Married, married, did I say married with children? Yeah. I said, oh, and then she sta- actually started, to, he walked across the street. And I'm like, hey man, for the first time, you know, look at, there's some recognition, somebody actually saw this. Somebody actually, and she comes up and goes, I just want to tell you, very, very, very few times have I seen someone was proud enough of their family to actually wear a t-shirt you know I, I, I am so I, I am so I'm just blown away that you care enough about your family that you would advertise I just want to say that because there's so many people that don't care 
And then she just walked away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the show broke one major television ground on many levels that people forget about. One primary influence was sitcom children were always good kids in classic sitcoms like Leave It to Beaver, The Andy Griffith Show, Family Ties, Cosby Show. The kids were always good, but the Bundy kids were evil. They were conniving and they were undisciplined. This presentation alone would directly influence a future important TV figure, and that would be Bart Simpson of The Simpsons. How do I look? Oh, like a uh, limited edition condom pack in Barbie? I remember Michael Moy saying to me something about how that he didn't think that Kelly was actually a slut. It right. was really just what Bud was saying about her. Right. He just, he just know, said that he to make you feel better. Say... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what was going on. The dark sense of humor and reckless behavior of the Bundy family was always put on display, and the off-color jokes infecting comedy clubs across America being displayed at 8 p.m. on primetime did what to the culture? It changed it. It changed it completely. That was one thing I was going to bring up, too, is like at this time, you were also seeing something happen in comedy where guys, married men, they were going, I'm not getting laid. Waka waka. They were actually pointing these things out. Now it's considered hack. But back in the 80s, oh, my God, that was like groundbreaking because there was a bunch of married guys that have been in the same relationship for 15, 20 years. And yeah. They're not getting laid. They related to Al Bundy. They related to Al Bundy. Now somebody is speaking their language. And on top of that, they had Peg Bundy, who's like, I, like, I want to bang this guy. I mean, and then now you had these women that were uh, gravitating towards her character. There was, some, it were, there was such a changing of the guard when Married with Children took over. And we'll never go back. We have a couple married 47 years. They still fool around four times a week. <laughs> a week? <laughs> Al doesn't even brush his teeth four times a week. <laughs> you know, maybe Al just doesn't find me attractive anymore. Peggy, what would you say if I told you I had the answer to all of your problems? I don't know. I bought one of those, and it's just not the same. <laughs> I think that what great comedy does is it takes what everybody is already thinking or what everybody already feels and shows it to them. Comedy holds up a mirror to people. It holds up a mirror to the world and says, here's the thing you didn't even realize was happening. That's where the best comedy comes from. Everybody knew a bad kid. It was more likely that that was more close to the average American child than the Leave it to Beavers or Kid from the Wonder Years. All of these were less likely to be the average American child. And they were seen in films, but not sitcom TV. That was a wholesome demographic. That's what changed it so much. Um, my favorite episodes are the ones that started and that came from reality. Um, another example of that: one of the one of the shows, the episodes that, or infamous episodes that we're most known for, was the Santa episode. Do you remember the Santa where? Um, Santa Claus was going to make an appearance at the local mall, the mall that Al worked in. And the way he was going to make his appearance was he was going to jump out of an airplane with, uh, you know, a sack of goodies, you know, for the kids that had gathered there. 
Well, it didn't quite happen because the chute didn't open and he landed in Al's yard and died in the tree. This literally happened to one of the writers um, on the show when he was a kid. You know, he lived, he lived in Illinois and the Santa was going to make an appearance at the mall by jumping out of a plane and actually, and actually got killed when he landed um, on top of the mall. The chute didn't open, thereby apparently scarring, you know, about four or five hundred children for life. I know, you know, what it did to this writer, <laughs> to this particular writer. That's where this idea came from. Another factor that I think that we should bring up is that the fact is that you had four people in a family all with the same selfish ideas that were trying to manipulate each other to get their way. That was their family dynamic, which is dysfunctional, but the relationship made sense. Their push and pull show that they were a team, despite the fact that they were all trying to get their own way. With the actors being as talented as they were, even the neighbors, everything was timed perfectly for the script. The big laughs or the small laughs were really controlled and thrown out by the actors. One thing the show did succeed at, though, was getting the attention of critics. I was astonished. It was coarse. It was vulgar. It was um, the talk of water coolers. People would say, did you see this, uh, what happened on Married with Children? Can you believe they said this? Can you believe they said that? So it created a lot of buzz at the time. This is one thing, too, that Married with Children did. It lit the audience on fire. When, when Al Bundy would enter the room, you would hear this, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. And I mean, it was genuine. And he was their hero for a minute. You know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, you don't get that nowadays. You don't see that. Re and it's such subtle acting too, right? I mean, he walks in the room. He, like they said, he's dejected. He's got his shoulder slumped and an entire crowd. He's giving so little energy in that moment, but really a lot to act that. Yeah. But that entire, like all those people are ignited by that subtle of acting. There was something so rock and roll about that show. The writers, the guys knew that I had played football. I played for two different colleges and I was a rookie with the Steelers in 69 and so when they knew that they said it's more tragic that his glory was two years than it ended you know shoe store marriage children the end okay miss fisher for five hundred dollars what occupation do most americans feel is the lowest a man can have shoe salesman <laughs> that's the one well, that was a summer part-time job when he was in transition from high school to college football. Then he knocked Peg up, and that became his career. Look, lady, for the last hour, I've been trying to squeeze your foot into a shoe when I really should have been easing them into the box. How dare you say that to my face? Well, I'd say it behind your back, but my car's only got half a tank of gas. You'll be hearing from my attorney. Is that the law offices of Hagen and Dot? <laughs> One true factor, though, was that Fox and Married with Children's viewing audience was extremely small for this first season for two main reasons. The first, Fox was hard to get, and most markets did not have Fox as an option. And it needed to be found with UHF antennas. What channel is it on, honey? Fox. Assume Fox viewing positions. <laughs> the campaign was, can you find your Fox station? Because oh, there was, it was right. all UHF was. Can you or whatever, channel 30-some-some. The answer is usually no. <laughs> we kind of had a sense of, it's going to be okay. Yes. Because they did just leave us alone because nobody was watching Fox. And the second was that the marketing strategy at the time 
wasn't truly representing the show. They were still selling it as a normal family sitcom. When you watch television, family sitcoms, family ties, the Cosby show, you just feel terrible about your own life because your life sucks and they all have clean houses and hug at the end. And Ron and Mike wanted to do a show where no matter what happened, after you turned it off, you could feel a little bit better about yourself. What did happen, though, was it grabbed the attention of critics. And the show from articles garnered an underground buzz and a loyal fan base searching it out and trying to find the show. This is one of the few word-of-mouth shows that would actually ignite an entire broadcasting station to become popular. Unfortunately, I think that this little, that this rift, you know, followed through, you know, for the entire life of, of the show, because it was clear, you know, they weren't going, you know, we weren't going away. I mean, now we had legions. We had letters when we finally got them. We had gotten letters from people who I, I think they were creepingly, you know, um, serious that all the, they wanted her phone, they wanted her address. They, they, they would have killed her. I mean, they were angry that somebody was, you know, attacking the Bundys and that, 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 that this show might get pulled off the air because of this. You know, they, you know, they, we actually saw now, you know, that uh, the love for this family. Being the show people talk about, but not seeing creates what kind of world around the show. Oh man, it just creates this need. You know, you want to. You don't want to be the one person that's left out. And on top of that, too, you're seeing people be passionate about something, and then, well, how do I get it? Oh, you can't. Well, then call your local television provider. Yeah, exactly. Call your local television provider and demand you get Fox. And I mean, what do you think that did across the world? It did the same thing with Comedy Central and South Park. Yep. Yeah, that Comedy Central wasn't available. It, it was, was called Ha originally. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. The Ha Network? And then after Comedy Central did, uh, after South Park became a hit, it was available readily. So the problem with the first season, though, is that TV is a fickle business. If you're not getting ratings and you're not getting advertisers, shows get canceled all the time. The actors believe they were onto something special and knew the nature of television. If they didn't find viewers, they would get canceled. David Faustino would walk around malls wearing a Married with Children shirt, hoping someone would recognize him or ask about it, but nobody ever did. At least people are talking about the show now. At least this lady, when she sees a Married with Children shirt, doesn't think that I'm talking about my wife and kids. You know, now they know what it's about. That's um, good, isn't it? Well, no. Apparently not. It wasn't good enough, you know, and uh, that became a problem. What kind of feeling can a cast and crew have when putting out a product they know is special and proud of, but is unable to get it out there to the public? Man, that is you're talking to the two right people for yeah. that, because that is the, the content creators, you know, people who create intellectual property artists of any kind. 
that is the ultimate question, right? How do I get people the thing that I'm making? How do I find, because it's not about most artists. You don't want, we don't want everybody to like us. We just want to find the people that do the people that do like us. And, and man, without the internet, I I think it's just, it made my heart just sing to think of David Faustino out there street teaming for his television show. Like what a wonderful proactive behavior. Like that is a positive behavior. That's the behavior that, that really is going to drive something like this home. It's, it's you, when you are invested in something that you know is good product, you will continue to hammer at it for years and years and years with no faith, with no return, with no money, because as an artist, it's important to you when you hit that magic money and you feel that you're in the pocket, it's so important that you get that out to people. When Married with Children came on the air, they showed it three times in a row. There was nothing else on the network. We made jokes on the show about, you know, you had to have coat hangers and everything else in order to get Fox on your television. Hardly anyone watched. There's virtually no comedy show in America that, that starts strong. They, they have to build an audience because comedy is unlike any other form in that you have to understand the characters. So until you understand what the relationship of Alan Pegg is, you're not going to laugh at the joke. The, the hardest part is just breaking people of their routines. So they all had their routines that they would do on Sunday nights. I mean, even if Fox was in the area, there was probably a show going on Sunday at 8 p.m. That's prime time. They're going up against the other networks. So you have to at least try and buck someone to at least give it a shot and then hope that they're not so offended by it that they give it another shot. That's basically what it is. It's just try, It's just bucking someone's routine. That's how hard it is. I mean, it? think about that, that slot, right? If you're a marketing exec- executive, 8 p.m. on that's that is still in the 80s and the 90s was still pretty much renowned as a day of worship and family right sunday dinner that's part of our culture that people go to church they have sunday dinner then they come home hang out with the family 8 p.m is the prime time spot for this is the show that we watch with our entire family what a difficult hurdle to overcome as a show they would have to be out in the mall street teaming because what they're asking is they're saying you need to watch this show with your entire family the crazy part, there's a ton of listeners, and my myself, we watched it with our family. Yes, I did, too. Exactly totally did. Yeah, we all did. Yeah, we remember. always watch Married with Children. Isn't that an awful lot of coffee you're putting in there? Yes. <laughs> That's for them. Ours will be good. You see, if they enjoy eating and drinking at home too much, they never take you anywhere. <laughs> with men, if you ask them for something, you are never going to get it. But if you do some damage to their internal organs, you got a shot. (laughs) And if it doesn't work, what have you lost? (laughs) Would you fill this with tap water, please? My entire life I've been watching Married with Children, and that sound, the sound of the stamp in the intro, when that Married with Children comes over that, that image, and that... That stamp the, the sound. The license plate. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that, sta- that, that sound. That, yeah. that sound is, is, is cemented into my brain that even now when I hear advertisements that have something like that, I'm like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Love and marriage. Love and marriage. Interesting how, how cemented that is into our culture because it did become part of the family experience. Every week, the ratings would grow. But always, you know, we were number one sitcom, you know, for that night. Now, there were, there were a few things that, again, still that were ongoing that I thought was odd. Another thing I thought was odd was the absolute total lack 
a fan mail. And, you know, occasionally we would ask, you know, just anything? No, anything. Okay, all right. Um, the total lack of response from the network, you know, I thought was, was kind of odd. I, I mean, obviously we weren't Cosby. I mean, we weren't getting, you know, 35, you know, 35 rating, 40 shares. But, you know, we're doing better than everybody else. I think that there'd be some acknowledgement. I mean, even when we were doing mediocre on NBC with It's Your Move, you know, we would get a call, you know, they acknowledging that, you know, that we were mediocre. <laughs> you know, I'd take that. Um, but we didn't get a whole lot. But we were doing fine. And uh, sooner, sooner we got a pickup which I guess was an acknowledgement, but it was very officious, very cold. It was almost, you know, uh, you're picked up for the rest of the season. Congratulations, click. Oh, yeah, thanks. You know, yeah. And again, I'm thinking, well, you know, these guys, they have a lot on their plate, brand new network, a lot of brand new shows. Maybe they don't know how to be a network yet. Maybe they don't know how to treat I, you know, I don't know. But, you know, screw it. We're having fun. Okay. And after a 13-episode first season run, Fox had the decision of conforming to a different sitcom or try to bring advertisers and audiences to find Married with Children for a second season. And they decided to keep it as their flagship show and step up a notch as it was renewed for season two. What we found out, and again, this is hindsight, Married, we knew that married was kind of like a fill. What we didn't know was that the powers that be at Fox at the time hated the show because what they, this isn't the kind of, this was not the kind of show that they wanted to be the foundation of their network. They didn't want this to be the flagship, hey, this is what Fox is about, you know, this horrible, horrible blue collar family. You know, they wanted it to be a little bit more cosmopolitan. Later on, a show, um, if you remember, the Tracy Ullman show came along. This is a, a year or two later. That was the kind of show they wanted. They wanted a show that people that lived in townhouses in New York could stand and discuss, you know, holding their, you know, Zimas in their hand, you know, discussing just, did, did you just see the brilliance? Is, is, is she not brilliant? Is she not? Is she not? That's what they wanted, you know? And to the Bundys, it was kind of like, well, you know what? I just planted my yard and look what moved next door. Are you kidding me? Really? Do we not have a housing association? Is there nothing, really, is this what we're going to have? This going to be Fox? And that's kind of what it was. co-host Brandon Hahn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Hahn Comedy. And Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
at Jocelyn Sharp. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure to listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks podcast on metalsucks.net. Email us comments, questions, errors we may have made, or any figure you would like us to cover, rise to offend at gmail.com. Discover the television series Married with Children and all 11 seasons wherever television shows are sold and currently through syndication. And read the complete Married with Children book by Denise No, available through Amazon in all book purchasing formats. All content provided on this show is copyrighted by its owners. Thank you all so much for the reviews on iTunes. These five-star reviews are helping this show grow and is all we can ask from you guys. Please, if you listen to the show and appreciate all the hard effort behind it, review the show on iTunes for us. It truly means the world that you take the time to listen and to review the show. Next week, we will tackle part two of three on Married with Children. Until then, repeat offenders, RTO Podcast, signing off.